0: If you are expecting to hear Pastor Brian preach on Mark 7 this morning, you're not alone. So is I. (laughs) Uh, But though a man plans his way, the Lord directs his footsteps, and here I am instead. Uh, Brian was a little bit sick this week, so we thought in order to have time to prepare and handle the text well, we'd give him a week to recover. Um, So if you want to hear about Mark 7... If you came with a friend because you're really excited about hearing about the traditions of men and the commands of God, you're just going to have to come next week to the Grand Excelsior. So I look forward to seeing you there. Let me pray for us again before we begin looking at John 8. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit to give us understanding of your word. Lord, I pray that you would give that to us now as we look at John 8. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. For the next hour or so, the, the most important thing you can do with your time is listen to me. When I say that, what went through your head? Did you kind of think, who does this guy think he is? Or maybe if you've been in church for a little bit longer, you thought, I, I know what you're saying, John, but really it'd be better if you weren't the one saying it. Because here's the thing, even though it sounds arrogant coming from my mouth, it's true. I'm standing here preaching God's word to you. There's nothing more important you could be spending with your time. And it's not just something that's a fact of life that's true for me to throw out there. It's something that's true that really, really matters and should affect the way that you live your life, at least for the next hour or so. During Jesus' ministry on earth, He said statements about himself uh, that we call the I am statements. And these statements were grandiose statements. They made him sound very important because he was very important, but they came from his own mouth. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard these things like, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the door. And you might just be sort of familiarized to them and not really hear how shocking it is for someone to stand up and say that about themselves, those things. Maybe you think that's just the way that Bible people talked, uh, but, the way, but for Jesus to say those things about himself is to say that he himself is very, very important, even the most important. Our passage today is John 8, uh, verses 12 to 20, You can find that on page 521 if you're using the the Bibles that were available in the back. Chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. This is where John records the very first I am statement that Jesus said during his ministry. It's in the middle of a conversation that he's been having around a feast. He's been teaching to the crowds. And then at the end of chapter 7, John took a break to show us that people are, are confused about what Jesus is saying. They're confused in part because of his pedigree, where he was from, the fact that he'd been a carpenter. He wasn't very impressive as a teacher, and yet he taught with authority. We especially saw that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, uh, couldn't see how Jesus could possibly be the Christ. They couldn't see how the Savior of the world, the Jewish nation, they couldn't see how the one that God had promised. They couldn't even see how a prophet could possibly be from Galilee. John took a break to tell us that, and then, in our passage, he resumes Jesus' teaching. Starting in verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. The main idea of this, of this passage and hopefully of my sermon is this. If you're only going to write down one thing, this might be helpful for you to write down to look at. Jesus really is the light of the world, sent by the Father, so follow him. Jesus really is the light of the world, sent by the Father, so follow him. And as we go through, we've go got three points Jesus is the light of the world, so follow him because he gives light. Follow him because he is from the Father. And follow him because he went back to the Father. So Jesus started the passage by saying that he is the light of the world. That sounds really lovely, but what on earth does that mean? Uh, Like I said, it's so easy to gloss over things like this. You just sort of take it for granted. And unlike other I am statements that Jesus makes, this one, he doesn't really explain with words what he means. The other ones, he sort of illustrates the picture. But this one, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life, and that's it. <clears throat> the next chapter, he'll show us what he means, he, or what he's starting to mean. He'll give, he'll give sight to a blind man, but he's not really explaining it. And that's because this stands as a transition point in the book of John. It's changing from what's called the book of signs, where John focuses on miracles that Jesus was doing, to the book of teaching, where he focuses on the teaching that Jesus gave. And the rest of the book is filling out, really, is showing you what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world. I can say that because, actually, the whole book of John is about showing you that Jesus is the light of the world. So if you, looked in, if you look in John chapter 1, in verse 4, John says, In him the word was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1, 9, he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. In John's mind, light and life are connected and are really significant to how he wants us to see who Jesus is. Is the light of the world. Okay, great, but what does it mean? Whenever you see something like this in the New Testament that is not quite clear, you're presented immediately with a couple of options of what you can do. You could just assume that if it's not immediately clear, it's too hard to understand and just give up on it. I think this is more and more our default Because our culture teaches us that if you don't understand something immediately, it's not worth your time. If something can't be given to you right now, then you probably aren't going to have it. But we know, even in our own experience, many things that are clear or come naturally to us now only are that way because of lots of work, of working to understand them or working to get better. Riding a bicycle comes back to you, just like riding a bike, only if you've learned how to ride a bicycle. Otherwise, it's pretty hard. Secondly, you could just sort of frown, scrunch up your face, look up at the ceiling, and just think as hard as you could what you think it might mean that Jesus is the light of the world. Of course, that means that you've really just, and the same as the first one, you've given up on trying to understand what, what the Bible is trying to tell you, and you're just trying to think of what you think the Bible should be telling you. Or you could just treat it as kind of a nice, warm, but really meaningless phrase. Like when someone says, bless you after you sneeze. You know they mean well, but you don't really know what they mean by that. Or what you should do is assume that the author is probably referring to something in the Old Testament. The biblical authors read their Bible. So if you don't know what's going on, it's probably because you don't know your Bible as well as they do. And if you read your Bible, that will help. So the Old Testament is full of poetic references to light. Let's just have a short, brief tour. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And uh, the Psalms also say that the word is a light to our path. Isaiah has a ton of these. We read one where it talked about people being in gloomy darkness and being given sight. Isaiah 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Light and a son being given. Interesting. Isaiah 59, therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom we grope for the wall like one who's blind. Isaiah 61, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the same John who wrote this, says of the new heavens and the new earth, and in that city there is no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the the nations walk. One pastor has summarized all of this by saying, in the Old Testament, light is Yahweh in saving action. Isn't that a helpful way to think of Jesus? God in saving action. John read his Bible and he believed the promises of his Bible. And when he saw with his own eyes these promises being fulfilled, he wrote about it in a way that would force you and me to go back and read those promises for ourselves and see how they're fulfilled in Jesus. Brian showed us the same thing in a different way last week with the walking on the water, here Mark was doing it. Then here we see John doing the same thing. They want us to look in the Old Testament to understand how great it is that Jesus has finally come. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Uh, in verse 19, he expands a little bit. He says, "If you know me, if you knew me, you would know my Father also." Walking in darkness first means you don't know the Father. And light is first and foremost, knowing God, knowing the Father. The song, And Can It Be, we just sang, uh, said these same truths to you in verse 3. Did you hear it? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, darkness. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Quickening is an old way of talking about something that gives life. So Jesus' I just sent a glance, just a single ray of life-giving light. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Jesus is the light of the world. The light that Jesus brings begins with knowing God. It's not impersonal or abstract. Your salvation is not just a status you get. That has nothing to do with anything else it starts with intimately knowing and being known by the god who created the universe that's part of why perseverance ongoing faith is such an important thing Just like any relationship in your life if you say i'm really good friends with jason barris because i met him once you all laugh right away because you know that's not true something ongoing has to be happening to know someone Walking in the light means you are walking after Jesus and you know Jesus. Friends, just as an aside, walking in the light doesn't mean that you never make a mistake, that you never falter. If I told you I was going to the store but I fell down in the street halfway there, that doesn't mean I wasn't going to the store. If I fell down and then gave up and then came back home, that means I wasn't walking to the store. But if I get up and I keep on going, I'm still walking in that same way. There's a sweet story of a girl named Innocencia uh, in the slums of Brazil who met a pastor when she was 13 years old. She, was, she uh, had been sold by her parents to a man. She, that man had made her addicted to industri- industrial strength glue to keep her under control. She met this pastor and she believed the gospel and repented of her sins this pastor and the people who were with her were so with him were so encouraged and happy. And then the next day they found Innocencia in the street passed out with a bag of glue in between her feet. They were so discouraged. They picked her up. They took her someplace, cleaned her up. And when she came to, they talked to her about what repentance looks like. Turning away from your sins is part of following Jesus. And she said, "Oh pastor, I do love Jesus. I, I was doing 10 bags a day, and now I'm down to six, and I'm not listening to that man anymore. That dear sister was walking in the light, weakly, stumbling, but where was she walking to? Friends, when you fail, when, when you're disappointed with yourself, where do you think to go Next. Reflecting on the implications of what it means to walk in the light later in his life, this same John will say in 1 John, if we walk in the light and he is, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So walking in the light begins with fellowship with God, and it continues with having fellowship not only with God but with other Christians. Part of what helps you keep walking in the light, following Jesus, are the other people who also want to walk in the light. Brother, sister, do not despise the small and ordinary unimpressive things that God has given you to help you walk in the light. The Christian life is long and there are no shortcuts to lifelong faithfulness. So use the things the Lord has given you to help you walk in the light. Jesus speaks about this this need for knowing the Father. This is the beginning of the salvation. This is the first and most important thing that people need. Let me ask you, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that the biggest problem that you had before you trusted in Christ was not knowing the Father? Do you believe for the people around you that the thing that they need most is to know the Father? there are plenty of other injustices and needs that the people around you have even in this church people not being paid not having a job being treated poorly by an employer or worse a spouse these are important things but they're not of first importance remind yourself of that and believe that and then finally friends in this verse i just want you before we move on i want you to notice that Jesus is not apologetic about telling the people around him that he is the light of the world. Jesus' testimony is true, and it matters, so he tells them. Christian, is the same true of you? Are you willing to give truthful witness even when it makes you look good? It's a little bit strange. We normally think about it the other way around, being willing to give truthful witness even when it makes makes us look bad. But there are things that God calls us to that the world looks at and thinks that we think we're arrogant and better than other people. In order to follow God and not follow others, sometimes you look proud. To live the way that God tells you to live and not the way that others around you want you to live seems prudish. To say that, other act, that certain activities or lifestyles that other people are embracing have no place in the life of the Christian sounds high and mighty to people who don't know Christ. Like we think that we are somehow holier on our own strength than they are. Those things are not true. Any Christian who has wrestled with sin, who has sought holiness, <laughs> could hardly be proud of themselves. But to those in darkness... The very fact that you can see the wall will often look proud and arrogant to them. So again, let me ask you, are you ashamed of things in Scripture that the world thinks are harsh and arrogant? Second point, follow Jesus because he is from the Father. The Pharisees, in their next verse, react to Jesus making this sort of claim by saying, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In other words, it's like if I were to say to you, I'm the king of the world, so you should follow me. And no one else was saying that about me. You would not stand up and follow me. You would think that I was a crazy person who maybe needed to be locked away. But that's not entirely what's going on with the Pharisees' (laughs) objection. They're also trying to use Jesus' own words against him. That if you... Look, look at what the Pharisees say right there in verse 13, and listen as I read to you John 5, 21, where Jesus said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. The Pharisees said, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They think they got him. But what they didn't hear or they chose not to hear was that Jesus never said that if he testifies to him about himself, it isn't true. He said if he's the only one who testifies about himself, it isn't true. In that passage, he makes clear that the miracles he's doing, scripture itself, and God the Father all testify about him. Here he reminds them most importantly of that, the Father also testifies the same thing about Jesus. What he says about himself is true because he knows who he is. Unlike the Pharisees. And what are specifically the things that they don't know about what he is? Let's see his response. He says in verse 14, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So the reason that they are not listening to Jesus is not because they're quite sensible people who know better to believe a crazy person who says that. No, that's a cloak, a disguise for the fact that they are judging Jesus according to what he looks like, not according to what he is. If they knew where he came from, they would know better. He came from the Father, and so their view, their judgment of him is wrong. But his judgments are never wrong, because the Father agrees with him. Verse 15 seems a little confusing. It sounds like Jesus just said, I judge no one. And then he says, but when I do judge, they're true. It's uh, a little bit of a confusing way of how how do you change an idiom from one language to another. We all know there's some things that you can say in one language that you can't quite say in another. This is one of those things. What he's doing is saying, you judge according to the flesh. I do not judge like that or in that way. Uh, we know that he's not, just, that he's not saying, just saying he doesn't judge because in 826, below our passage, but in the same conversation, Jesus says, I have much to say to you and much to judge. So uh, unless Jesus was really confused, he, that's not what he was saying. He's asserting that he doesn't judge like they do. They judge like this, his judgment Is wholly different. He's just restating what he's actually already said to them, but they keep not hearing. Earlier at the beginning of chapter 7, they are plotting in their hearts how to kill Jesus. And Jesus says, you want to kill me? And they say, you're crazy. No one's trying to touch you. But Jesus knew because he saw their hearts, not their actions. Jesus answered them then by saying, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And here he's doing the same thing again. He's saying, you are judging according to appearances once again. Judge with right judgment. They are trying so hard to make their opposition to Jesus seem reasonable. But really, they just love the darkness. These men who were supposed to be spiritual leaders were spiritually blind, and they couldn't see who Jesus was. They were groping the wall in darkness and judging him just off of what they could see or feel based off of the flesh but how could you possibly ever assume that you can make a right judgment about anyone let alone jesus christ according to the flesh (laughs) let me ask you friend are you tempted to judge according to the flesh I think if you look back over your life, the Lord has been gracious in teaching you often the hard lesson that people are not what they appear to be. Judgment according to the flesh means you will often be fooled and deceived. You can't discern what people truly are just off of what they look like. Throughout his ministry, the whole reason why Jesus responds so remarkably, so incisively into the hearts of people Is because he knows their hearts he knows them like a potter knows the pot that he made his judgment is true because it is the same as the father's and god's judgment is accurate and true ours is often not so brothers and sisters let me encourage you to be humble in your judgments of other people be humble when you judge other Christians and their actions. Recognize what you see is not all of what's there. So even as you encourage them or rebuke them, do it with a spirit of humility. Tonight, we're going to vote to recognize and affirm members with us. Affirm that we think they look like Christians. But we should be humble in the way that we make that judgment we don't know for sure we just know what people look like we're charitable we're hopeful but we don't know for sure also tonight making a judgment about whether myself and mark donald are qualified to be elders you're making a judgment according to appearances because that's all that you have and in the lord's kindness i think that we both meet those qualifications but the truth is that could you, we could be mistaken that doesn't mean we should live in fear. That means when, if, if a leader fails you, if another Christian fails you, you recognize it's not God who failed you. It was your own judgment. So be humble and re- recognize that God's judgment is better than yours. <coughs> Even after he rebukes them for not knowing where he comes from and where he goes, he goes on to tell them where he came from and where he's going. So verse 16, remember he says, It is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Verse 18, the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus was sent by the Father. Where is he from? He is from the Father. He's being very gracious in making this abundantly clear to the people who are listening to him. He has authority and he speaks truly about himself because he speaks with the authority of the Father. You can, you can see, as we've been going through, as we've been proceeding, and even from Mark, the writers are really working hard to show you that Jesus is God. But John also really wants you to understand that the Son and the Father are distinct people. They provide two testimonies about him, even as they are united and one. When you question Jesus, you're questioning God the Father. When you're trusting Jesus, you're trusting God the Father. One thing that that means is that you can never pit Jesus against the Father. Right? When I was young, I asked my dad if I could have cake and milk as a snack in the afternoon, and he told me no. And so I went to my mom because I knew that she was more soft-hearted. And I asked her, and she said yes. And this moment in my life is emblazoned on my memory because as I sat down at the table before I even tasted the cake, my father walked into the room, <laughs> and I did not have my snack. <laughs> I could not. I didn't succeed in pitting my parents against each other, knowing that my mother was more tender-hearted than my father, even less so with the father and the son. They are perfectly united in judgment and discernment. So the idea that Jesus is the nice one and the Father is the strict one and Jesus has to go and convince the Father to be merciful to you is just preposterous. They are completely on the same page, which is wonderful and petrifying news, right? Jesus judges perfectly when he will judge. He will not err. And if you take just a moment to consider yourself, that is frightening because you know the things in your heart that no one else has seen that Jesus sees. All the little things that you do to make yourself look a little bit better to people, to make you sound like a more holy person than you are, Jesus sees straight through those. He's not blind like the Pharisees. He's not easily fooled like you or me. There is no hiding who you are from Jesus. But on the other side of the coin, friends, Jesus is just as like-minded with the Father in judgment The Father is like minded with Jesus in mercy. The whole idea of loving you, of sending Jesus to come die for your sins, you know that was the Father's idea. He's the one who wanted to bring you into right relationship with Him. If you are in Christ, Jesus is not covering for you with the Father. When Jesus looks at you and says, My blood has paid for this one, He is righteous. She is righteous. The father doesn't say, really? Convince me. The father says, yes, he is. Yes, she is. The conversation that I just presented between Jesus and the father leads me to our last point. which Is that we should follow Jesus because he went back to the father. Remember, Jesus didn't just rebuke the Pharisees because they didn't know where he was coming from. They also didn't know where he was going. He said he was sent from the Father and then he was going back to the Father. But how was he getting there? There's a little clue in our text. Look at verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. John keeps saying throughout his book, Jesus' hour has not come. Until, in chapter 13, he finally says, the hour had come to depart out of this world and return to the Father. No one could touch Jesus. No one could harm Jesus. Not because he was untouchable, but because he wasn't touchable yet. They couldn't harm him until he wanted to be harmed. Which is astonishing when you think about in chapter 7, the Pharisees say to the guards, the guards come back and tell the Pharisees, this is what Jesus is saying. And they say, why didn't you arrest him when he was saying that kind of thing? And then now he's in the temple. And not only is he in the temple, he's in the treasury, the place with the most amount of guards. And no one touches him because his hour had not yet come. Which makes it even more astonishing when you think about the way that Jesus chose to return to the Father. He didn't choose to just go straight up in a chariot like Elijah. He chose first to suffer on a cross. That tool that was used for death and terror, Jesus chose to use as a tool of redemption. But he then returned to the Father. He didn't stay dead. He got up and he went back to God because he himself was God. This is how we know Jesus really is the light of the world. It's not just where he came from, but the fact that he's back there now. He is able to bring us before the Father because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Because he's alive and he is interceding with his own blood on our behalf, we know that he is the light of the world. We know that he is God in saving action. The same Jesus who judges with the same accuracy and rightness as God, the Father, says that you, if you trust in him and his death and resurrection, are righteous. Look at the confidence that Jesus speaks with. He's confident, yes, because he's God but he's confident also because he knows the father. Christian, you have the same confidence. He has promised to give you light. Have you not experienced that already? You know the father now. So why do you sometimes wonder if you will fully know him? Are you unsure of where he went? He told you where he was going. He knew he would die. And he knew he would go back to the Father. And the Father agreed with him. That is why we know that Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's why we can be certain and not ashamed of our faith, even when our faith makes us look <laughs> proud and arrogant to those around us. Because our faith does not depend merely on the testimony of one man standing and talking about himself. Our faith stands on the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <clears throat> Jesus is the light of the world. If you want to leave the, wall, leave the darkness, if you want to stop groping for the wall, all you have to do is follow him. He loves to give the light of life. If you're not following him, if you are following him, what more important thing could you do with your time? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you chose to send your son to be the light of the world. Thank you that you and the son were united in deciding that you wanted to bring unrighteous sinners like us and make us righteous and bring us into the family of God. We thank you for this gift. We pray that you would help us to respond and live in light of that. Pray us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.